0: again and welcome to the canadian podcast i'm sarah sash and i'm with my buddy old pal andrew campbell how's it going andrew it's
1: going great sarah how are you we're to the end of summer now i feel it's always that like isn't it exciting that schedules can return but at the same time like oh we never got half of the things done in the summer we wanted to do
0: exactly but we did have fun i gotta say with the uh pandemic stuff kind of waning a bit we got out there and we did a lot of fun things this summer so I'm a little sad to see it go but also excited to have a little more uh peace and quiet uh get back to shoveling through my bookkeeping so how about
1: you quiet I thought those kids of yours would be just calm collected helpful at all times helpful occasionally calm never I would say (laughs) that's
0: just yours you're reflecting on your own yeah uh
1: well that isn't necessarily the description I would use of ours either but um and actually like for us our kids like it's it's kind of the first summer that they have been and with the new like robot barn now it's it's a little more conducive to them helping too um and so actually I'm not sure what I'm gonna do when I have to do their chores now as well when they go back to school
0: it's amazing how great kids are with technology I remember when we first got our robots they were way better at it than us like right off the hop despite being really small (laughs)
1: Yeah, it it does work well but anyway we'll adjust and we'll take the peace and quiet that comes with Having to do the work ourselves, I guess, Sarah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's always after school, Andrew. You'll be fine.
1: Oh, well, then that's what I'll get. Straight to the barn, <laughs> off the bus, kids. Off you go.
0: <laughs> so today we've got a bit of a special edition going as we'll focus on the Federal Conservative Leadership Race to replace Aaron O'Toole. The race has been underway for quite some time now, but we're getting into the final stretch and things are really heating up.
1: Now, for those that don't follow it very closely, just a little bit of background and how it works is the vote for the conser- is by the conservative members and is held in instant runoff voting. So each electoral district is given a maximum of a hundred points, and that's the, basically the riding. And it it could be less than a hundred if less than a hundred members vote in that riding. These points are distributed according to the weight of a candidate's vote in that electoral district based on how everybody ranks them, and if no candidate receives more than 50% of the points in a round, then the candidate with the lowest number of points is removed off the bottom, and all of those are replaced with who the second choice uh, each candidate got from those uh, so not not necessarily the most straightforward one. I don't know if I'd want to be sitting in the room counting those ballots, but definitely a way that the Conservative Party has done it for a number of years. Now, voting is underway. The results are going to be released on September 10th. Very soon, Sarah.
0: Yeah, so now that we've got all that, um, after the disqualification of Patrick Brown by the Leadership Election Organizing Committee, after information was received on alleged violations of the financial provision provisions of the Canada Elections Act by Brown's campaign,
1: there are five candidates on the ballot. Those candidates are Scott Aitchison, an MP for Parry Sound Muskoka in Ontario, Roman Babber, a former Ontario MPP for the riding of York Centre, Jean Charest, a former Premier in Quebec and former leader of the Progressive Conservative Party in Canada, Leslyn Lewis, an MP for Haldeman Norfolk, again in Ontario, and the third place finisher in the 2020 Conservative Party of the for the leadership election, and Pierre Poliev, the MP for Carleton and a former Minister of Employment and Social Development, as well as a uh, member of the Shadow Cabinet over the past uh, couple of leaders that we've had in the Conservative Party. So there's definitely some choice there,
0: and it's been quite the race, Andrew. Lots of drama, lots of controversy. Candidates have had very tough words against each other at times. There's never been a dull moment in this leadership race, which is very important in our country because the winner could very well become the next Prime Minister of Canada.
1: They very well could be, Sarah. And it's also very important for dairy farmers across the country because their policies will no doubt influence the way forward for not just the economy, but obviously for the dairy industry in general based on their support for the sector.
0: That's so true. Their positions on these issues will be part of the political narrative, even if they don't end up winning the leadership or becoming prime minister. On trade deals, on supply management, on food safety, on sustainability, affordability, on the need for rural strategy to support our farmers, We need to take some time to get to know where these people stand. So, Andrew, what have we got for our listeners today?
1: We sure do, Sarah. It's very exciting because we've heard through the grapevine that the leading Conservative leadership candidates were meeting with the leadership at Dairy Farms of Canada. So we thought maybe we could be a fly on the wall and capture some of what was being said. DFC agreed, and so we want to present you with exclusive conversations led by CEO of Dairy Farmers of Canada, Mr. Jacques Lefebvre. So right after the break, we want to present to you a conversation between Jacques Lefebvre and Jean Charest.
0: Canadian dairy farmers are on their way to net zero by 2050, producing renewable energy, preserving biodiversity, and... Someone agrees with that. Dairy Farmers of Canada, net zero by 2050.
2: Andrew, Sarah, thank you very much. Our guest today is uh, Jean Charret. Mr. Charret, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Jacques. I think our dairy farmers um, want to know, and you, you have said uh, in the past that you do support supply management. Um, but you know, as I've learned, this, the support is not recent. This is a, a long-term commitment as part of your, uh, your position. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about that.
3: Well, Jacques, first of all, thank you for inviting me and, and giving me some time to speak directly to uh, the milk producers in Canada. And on the issue of supply management, as you pointed out from day one of my political career, I have been a supporter of supply management. And I've learned from supply management of what it means, the transparency, and and how it is a choice. It's a political choice the country made, has made in regards to specific sectors of our agricultural policies. Each country, by the way, we shouldn't feel guilty about that or exceptional. Each country I know of, almost without exception, has sectors in which they decide to apply different treatments, which is fine. We've done that with supply management and it's been a, a, a good choice. I've, uh, I've been a supporter of supply management from day one, and I've never wavered in my commitment. And in this leadership race, I, if anything, I've been certainly the voice uh, of supply management for Canada throughout the whole leadership race.
2: So, you know, that was the easy question. Now, let, let, me, let me turn up the heat a little bit on you. <laughs> so you have been supportive of supply management. You're on record but at the same time you were part of the negotiations for the Canada Europe trade agreement and you know the successive trade agreements that have followed have really come at the expense of of uh, dairy and conceding part of our market to uh, to our trading partners so how how do, how do you reconcile your support for supply management, but yet, you know, you were at the table negotiating uh, the Canada-Europe trade agreement.
3: Well, in the case of the Canada-Europe trade agreement, it was the project that I had proposed to the country and to uh, the federal government at the time in 2007. So I've been, yes, it has my fingerprints all over it in terms of, uh, of this trade agreement. When we went into the trade agreements, Jacques, uh, we met with, uh, I remember meeting with European negotiators from a a, a technical point of view. We had taken the decision that everything would be on the table as we started because we didn't want to get into a situation of getting one thing or off. But we also, in those same discussions, Jacques, made it, it was quite clear to both sides that we were not going to crack the nut of all the agricultural policies the and the, uh, and the uh, disagreements between Canada and Europe and uh, so we took it you know from the perspective of what is it that we want to protect and is reasonable we did an opening on supply management that uh, certainly at the time I thought was modest and manageable and always on on the condition that there would be a long phase-in period that there would also be compensation that it would be modest, very, very, very modest, so that it would be uh, made manageable. I left office in 2012, and I wasn't at the table when we concluded. But certainly, the the management of the quotas that followed were, were not, I think, what uh, the agricultural sector expected. And then it was followed. I, what I mean by that is that the allocation of those quotas were not what uh, was expected. And then we end up uh, with Kuzma, and then we end up with CPTPP, with openings also. And in those cases, there is no doubt a cumulative effect. So what may seem modest in one case and manageable, and then you get another and another. Finally, the total is is rather substantive and real. And I know that uh, the Prime Minister Harper at the time in 2015, I think, put in, in place measures on CPTPP to, uh, to compensate, but it's not ideal. Bottom line today, Jacques, as we speak, we're negotiating other trade agreements with the UK, who are part of CETA and in the deal. We're negotiating with ASEAN right now, the 10 countries with Indonesia. uh, We're trying to revive trade negotiations with India. And one thing is very clear in my mind, and that's that it is enough, enough. And I become leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister of Canada. There is not going to be any more gives on supply management, period. And uh, I've made that very clear in the leadership race and I'm glad to reiterate that today and to tell you that uh, we we draw the line here. Let's
2: keep on the theme of trade agreements, because, as you pointed out, you know there was CPTPP and then Kuzma, the latest. Yeah. and within within that agreement with uh, Mexico and the u s, There is a clause that only applies to Canada, and that is a cap on our exports. And they're they're hefty penalties if we go beyond uh, for some some key products. The only country of the three partners that is submitted to that clause. As part of KUSMA, there is a period to revisit. So periodically, you revisit uh, the the, the agreements, and that's the opportunity uh, that the partners have to bring up some issues that are problematic for them. If you're at the table, can we count on your support to revisit those caps um, or the equivalent of a cap on exports? Because they are really um, difficult for the industry and cause a lot of grief.
3: what you're talking about in terms of the revisiting of the accord was part of, I remember, the American ask. It was the Americans in the Trump administration who said, no. This isn't going to be an accord that is going to be automatically, you know, just reconducted every. We want to revise it and uh, and have a formal revision. Canadians didn't think it was that great an idea because you run the risk of, you know, putting everything backwards or starting over again. That being said, it is what we have in front of us. This is something I would put on the agenda of my of Canada. And we all have the ability, all three countries, to decide what it is that we want to talk about, of course. And this would be very high on my agenda to revise this specific cap and to uh, and to have it changed and modified. And again, I want to I want to point out to our listeners that I'm not I'm not among those in Canada who feel there any specific guilt about the fact that we have supply management. I mean, there are, you know, people, uh, economic economic uh, professors or others who may theoretically feel awe oh, that we should be doing this. Fact of the matter is, every country in the world has sectors that they protect, that they treat differently, I should say, and, uh, and we should not be Boy Scouts about uh, protecting, especially not in this environment of uh, ruptured supply chains and the whole issue of, uh, of of uh, food uh, safety being uh, and and our ability to supply our own man our own markets. I mean, this this environment of post COVID even reinforces the position of supply management, as far as I'm concerned. I'm glad to hear you say that.
2: You did touch on a, a briefly on food security, and yeah. I'd like to pick up on this because we're we're hearing our our, our officials talk about. You know, a post-COVID economic plan to get the country back on track, its economy back on track. But it seems that nobody has put in the window um, the rural sector and the needs and the needs of the rural sector in order to fulfill its role of being the call it the um the one that a sector that ensures that Canadians have access to nutritious foods and yep. the safety of the supply. So, how can we how can we think of um, you know a, 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 a post COVID economy without having a strategy specifically for the rural areas and agriculture as a sector?
3: Uh, well, and, and that rural. In there. And rural Canada is defined by its rural activities, its agricultural activities, of course. But of course, if you look at just agriculture, rural is a larger uh, definition of life in in a part of the country that needs to be thought through and sustained, nurtured, and, uh, and, and, and requires policy attention. As an aside, I regret that in this leadership race, there was no discussion about that but it's been a bizarre leadership race that has focused on on a few key issues like uh, mandates. And uh, and we haven't had, you know, a lot of discussion, uh, not as much on policy that I would have thought was important. And, and, and so we didn't really have an opportunity to go there. So I'm glad you asked the question. You know, we uh, as a country uh, n- must recognize that the rural life is a pillar literally a pillar, nothing less. And it, I know the word's a cliche, but in this instance, it's there's a reason why it's a cliche, it applies to our future and, and the livelihood of millions of Canadians, for them individually, but for them to be able to feed our country and our citizens and make our system work. I mean, we're not, this isn't something ordinary in our lives, something that countries have to think through that we can't take for granted. COVID has taught us, that we can't take that for granted. We'd have a major, major rupture of our supply chains that has affected our ability to get food into stores and to distribute into... And, uh, and so now we have to think this through very carefully. As I mentioned earlier, Jacques, I think COVID has only made supply management that more relevant. And if, if, if they don't, people don't get it now, I don't know what it is that's gonna make them understand that we need to control our ability to supply our own markets, our production, and not depend on others to do it. And But rural life is more than just about agriculture. It's about everything around it, including the availability of healthcare services, education, broadband, infrastructure, roads. And it, it, no specific sector can claim to have the answers for everything. That's why government plays the role of looking at the bigger picture, and making sure that the different pieces work together. And I'd be delighted to be a, a prime minister that would propose a rural policy for Canada, as I did when I was premier of Quebec, and quite successfully, I think.
2: So it's good to hear that you recognize that, you know, food security doesn't happen miraculously. There no. needs to be a vibrant rural sector where agriculture thrives in order to uh, supply uh healthy uh, foods uh, and nutrition to the urban sectors, because that's not where you see uh, agriculture and the, the, the big productions. So good to hear you say that. Listen, time is, is running out, Mr. Shire. um I guess we could have talked about so many topics, uh, but I'll give you the opportunity. Is there something you would like to share with our dairy farmers before we let you go?
3: Talk. Well, thank you for having me on. And uh, we're at the end of this leadership race. Uh, let me, allow me to to talk directly to those members who are members of the Conservative Party of Canada and who have a, a right to vote in this leadership race. If that's the case, you have until the 6th of September to get your ballot in. And, uh, and I, uh, I just impress upon you that in this leadership race, uh, I have been the one who has been speaking on your behalf, and uh, who has uh, a long record of doing so, and will continue to do so in the in the future. There is uh, here is something that you can count on and bring to the bank. And so, please, if you're if you haven't yet voted, vote for me. Put me on as your first choice. And please, please send in your ballot as rapidly as possible. You have until the 6th of September to vote in favor of supply management and to vote for Jean Charest. Mr.
2: Charest, thank you.
3: Thank you, Jean.
2: Bye-bye. Bye. Andrew, Sarah, back to you.
0: Well, this was all very interesting, Andrew. It sure shows us that Jacques Lefebvre is a former journalist, that's for sure. Big thanks to Dairy Farmers of Canada for giving us access to these insightful conversations.
1: Yeah, thanks, certainly, because it is shaping up to be an interesting couple of days, Sarah, as even though a lot of pundits and analysts are predicting a win by Polyev, nobody actually knows there is one thing that, you know, especially over these leadership races, pollsters can be wrong so it's going to be an exciting couple of weeks ahead
0: that's right andrew i mean you've explained their voting formula at the beginning of the show it is a bit complicated uh (laughs) understatement but there are many ways for surprises to happen depending on which campaign gets their vote out who does vote and where they're coming from all those sorts of things
1: And then, of course, really, that's only the beginning because who wins is obviously going to change how things unfold on the federal stage. Will it change the dynamics in the House of Commons? Will polls shift based on who that is? Uh, will there be a window for the NDP to put an end to its deal with the Liberal government? Or will the Liberals want to catch the new Tory leaders still unprepared and call an early election? This is one of those exciting things. I, I actually love listening to political podcasts, Sarah. So it's always exciting when, you know, you never know what could happen.
0: So true. I guess we'll just have to wait and see and uh, follow along and should be some excitement in that regard. That's for sure. So that's it for now. If you've got comments or suggestions, please write us at podcast at CanadianPodCow.ca. You can also find the Canadian PodCow on Twitter or on Facebook. Big thanks to our sponsor, the Dairy Farmers of Canada, and of course, to our production team, Bruce Sargent and Carl Belanger. Until next time.